0: Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, we are going to be in what some have called the Mount Everest of the New Testament. So, Romans is probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And then Romans 8 is like the Mount Everest of the heart of of the New Testament. And Romans is Paul's manifesto of the Gospel of the righteousness of God making unrighteous sinners righteous in His sight through the shed blood sacrifice of King Jesus and resurrection from the dead. That's what this book is all about. And Romans 8 is like right in the heart of that. So, let's come before the Lord and ask Him to bless our time and bring His Word and the power of His Spirit. Amen? Father God, we thank You for this opportunity to get into Your Word. Lord, we thank You that when You speak, Father, it fills our hearts with faith. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. And Father, we thank You that we don't need more in opinions. Lord, there's so many opinions in this world. But we need the Word of God. We don't need more self-help manuals. We need the help of the Holy Scriptures. And we pray, Father, that You would grant life to Your Word in our hearts. That You would encourage us. This has been a difficult, tragic week. And Lord, we lament the loss of so many lives as we think about those who are devastated in Texas. We just pray for those families. We pray that Your grace would be upon them. Mobilize Your church to be the arm of love reaching out to those just devastated. And Lord, we pray that You would raise up Your church in our culture to be a shining light. And Father, that we would take the truths of Romans 8 into the world. Lord, there's no greater Uh, place to go, Lord, to bring somebody to the heart of God in the Gospel of Christ. Then Romans 8. So we pray that You would help us now as we get into Your Word, that You would teach us, and that You would encourage us, and that You would breathe upon this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to imagine for a moment, I want you guys to imagine two kinds of days that you're having. The first day, you get up early, everything's going well, you kind of hear the birds chirping and the bees are humming, you did your quiet time, you read your Bible, you had a sweet time in prayer with the Lord, an opportunity for evangelism arose and you were bold enough to take it. And then you finished your day off with caring for folks in, the, in a homeless shelter, providing meals. Everything was just going good. It was a very good day. Then you had a bad day. And the bad day, you slept through your alarm. You woke up just groggy, shaking the cobwebs out. You were grumbling at your spouse or at your parents in the morning. You were haunted by discouraging thoughts. Got in a fight in the middle of the kitchen. Got angry at the dog. Almost kicked the dog. And then you went out to work or school. Opportunity to share Jesus, but you feel horrible so you don't do it. And then you get just super discouraged and wallow in self-pity. And I want you to think about these two days. Which day do you feel better about your standing before a holy God in them? Which day do you feel like my standing's okay before the Almighty? Is it the good day? Or is it the bad day? Probably not the bad day. Not the day you kick the dog, right? But ultimately, Romans 8 is realigning our thinking because we so often relate to God on a performance mentality, and sometimes we do it as Christians. Every major religion of the world is performance-based. What can we do to measure up? But Christianity is about what God has done in Christ to justify the guilty, ungodly sinner before Him and then transform him or her into somebody new that begins to live a different way. And so I would submit to you that the smile of God, if you're a Christian, is not more upon you on the bad day or less upon you on the good day, or vice versa. But ultimately, what matters is have you trusted in the One He sent to declare you not guilty before Him because you've trusted in Him? What matters is who you're trusting in. And what matters is are you in Christ? or outside of Christ. And Paul's just been laboring in Romans chapter 7 over some miserable struggles with sin, and sin just keeps haunting. The good I do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those things I practice," he says. And then ultimately in verse 24 and 25, he climaxes and says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So ultimately, Paul is not standing on the good day, bad day policy. And I want us to shake that off if if we're believers. Because you can get in the tunnel of discouragement and stay there for weeks and months at a time if you're operating thinking the smile of God is only on me when things are going well in my life or when I'm doing well. But you need to know that if you're a blood-bought child of God, that if God has said not guilty because you've put your trust in His Son who He punished on your behalf, and clothe you with the righteousness of Jesus, well then, every day you stand justified in God's sight. That's why the Apostle Paul can begin Romans 8, chapter 1 with thunderous declaration. Look at it with me. Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, that's true of you. If you're in Christ. For, verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For the God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That's why this is the Mount Everest of Gospel hope. Because sinners as we are, saved by grace, on the final day when we stand before God, it will not be because of anything we've done in this world to merit salvation that we get acceptance. But it will be because of what God did, Verse 3 reminds us, in sending His own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled, fulfilled in us. So, eternity before God is grounded on what you have done with King Jesus. And so, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, ultimately, You look to God and His work when you think of how do I stand before my Lord today. Now, we're going to get there's a whole nother message we're going to do on how this should produce godliness in your life. So, if your question is, well, does that mean you just live any old way, any which way but loose? No, Paul's going to address that. But if you have been totally forgiven and you don't deserve it, and you've been declared not guilty when you are guilty, and you've been forgiven by His shed blood and righteousness, and you've been made new, and you're going to heaven, and before the throne of God, you will stand in Christ, and He will say, enter into My joy on the last day. You better believe that's going to produce godliness in your life. And true Christianity is the death of all performance-based justifying of ourselves before God. That's why Paul could say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Think about how it would revolutionize everything you do if you lay hold and you bring into your heart and you drink deeply from the wellspring of your justification before God in Christ. And that all the saving blessings of God are yours by virtue of being in Christ, not because of how great we are, or how good we are, or our track record, or how good we're going to do in the future, but because of who He is. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians 6, put on the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. You're in a battle every day. You go out into the world and the devil's after you. The lies of the world are bombarding you. The culture is trying to shape you. TV's trying to shape you. Media's trying to shape you. Political pundits trying to shape you. All sorts of things trying to shape your life. But if you let this verse and this passage shape your life, you are going to live a different way. And you put it on your heart. And it guards you. Because my righteousness is not my own. I'm clothed with the righteousness of another. And if you're in Jesus, God sees you in that righteousness my one defense my righteousness oh god how i need you so we're going to look at this passage and we're going to get help from the apostle paul and we're going to see there's a problem of condemnation there's a verdict of no condemnation and there's a foundation to the no condemnation verdict and then we're going to look at a few implications so point number one, the problem of condemnation. Look at verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the converse is true, right? Apart from Jesus, we're condemned, we're guilty as charged. And notice that little word, therefore, it's, it's, it's like embedded in that sentence to remind you that there's a whole argument proceeding. This very verse, Paul is pointing back to what he's been saying throughout all the, the, the book of Romans. He's reminding us what he said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death reigned through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Condemnation. That was last week's message, right? We, we looked at like one sin infected the whole world. One sin brought about all the stuff that we see today. and then we're infected with it, and we start living in that, that those ways. And sin is, is is got a hold of us and, 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 and we're born ultimately in sin. So that's why you don't have to teach kids how to sin. they learn it all by themselves. That's why you can't just educate people out of, immorality. You can't just educate somebody out of sin or sinfulness. They need to be born again. They need to be saved. They need to be brought from death to life. And so we're guilty in Adam and then we do our own sinning on top of that. Romans chapters 1-3 through make the strongest case in the Bible that we have all sinned and we stand guilty before God all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that idea of sin is missing the mark there's a target that God designed for you to live and flourish as a human being in this world and sin is deviating from that it's missing it it's missing it in how we we live it's missing it in how we live in our relationships how we value people how we think about things it's missing it And we've fallen short of giving glory to God. And that's why Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20 just sum up what all our attempts to try to live on our own look like. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since the law through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what's Paul saying? He's saying the law shows you your sin. When you look into the law of God, it shows you you fall short and fail to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You fail to love others, your neighbor. You fail. You covet sometimes. You want other people's stuff you get jealous you 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 steal you lie you gossip you backbite there's all these things that we do and it we can't it's like we can't help ourselves it's just flowing out of our hearts and the bible says it's because sin came through one man and it spread to all of us and then it infected us and so we're all condemned And we all stand guilty in both Adam's sin and our own sins. Listen to it again in Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. One act condemnation Oh, but glorious Gospel truth, and we're getting to it. We'll get to it. One act of righteousness will lead to justification for all who trust in Jesus. So we have to feel that weight of, no con, or, uh, of condemnation before we're going to get excited about no condemnation in Christ. And what does it mean to be condemned? Condemned. We often get a picture of this in our penitentiaries around America. There are some that have the um, death penalty. And they house criminals that have been convicted of crimes warranting death. And they go to death row where they await the execution of the punishment that they deserve. And when it's time for that execution to be meted out for their sins and their crimes against... Humanity and ultimately against God, they're walked down a long corridor and the guards chant the expression dead man walking. We've got a dead man walking here. Why? Because that's as if the sentence is already passed. They are condemned men. Condemned to death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Romans 6.23 We're dead men walking. That's judgment. That's bad news. That's That's the wrath of God rightly upon sin. So how can we have hope to be set Free from the condemnation we rightly deserve before God. How can we have hope? It's not going to be more good days than bad days. It's not going to be, I'm just going to do good days from here on out, and I'll be good. It's not going to be a religious ritual. Or a signing of a commitment card. It's going to be something altogether you cannot do and God must do for you. Point number two. The verdict of no condemnation in Christ. Look at it. It's it's like from all of that discouragement and condemnation, Paul says in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's not a shred of condemnation. There's zero condemnation. There's no wrath for the child of God. Only a smile upon you. Yes, there's fatherly discipline when we sin. Yes, there's correction. There's instruction. But the smile of God is upon you. And you're no longer operating under that death sentence. But you're one who's been brought from death to life because of Jesus. And that's powerful news. It's as if He's saying to you, you can walk out of Alcatraz now. The Alcatraz of condemnation and guilt, you're free. Sin's dominion and stranglehold has been broken. Look at verse 2, if you would. Verse 2 says what? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So this is a description of the justified life. This is a description of what God did when He declared you not guilty. He set you free from the bondage of sin and death. He set you free from condemnation. And maybe you're in here today and you feel so imprisoned, so in bondage, so without hope, so feeling the anger and wrath of God is upon you, And I want to encourage you that there's hope for you to hear the no condemnation verdict in Christ. There is always room for a guilty sinner to come to Jesus. He will cast out nobody who comes to Him. But who is it who hears the not guilty verdict? Who is it ultimately who hears this not guilty verdict? Who's the one who who, who hears it? Verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've got to be in Christ Jesus. Friends, are you in Christ Jesus? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means to be, it's union language. You are in Him, and He is in you. You're joined. You're united. All that Jesus is for you, you have because you're in Him. Perhaps the closest thing we have to this is is marriage, right? When, When you're united to somebody in marriage, like I'm united to my wife, Everything I have is hers. Everything I own is hers. We're one flesh, the Bible says. We're so intimately connected. We're so united. We're we're in such a union that what I have belongs to her and what she has belongs to me. We're one. And that's what it means to be in Christ. You have become one with King Jesus. You've been united to him. That's why the gospel is a picture of, or marriage is a picture of the gospel. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Why? Because it's a picture of the gospel, it's a picture of the union. And and listen, King Jesus laid Himself out on a cross to die to bear the wrath you deserve so that all the blessings and righteousness and righteous life that He has are now yours in Him. And as long as you're in Him, the smile of God is perpetually on you. So you have that bad day and you beat it back with Romans 8:1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ We do not have to be in perpetual self-condemnation because he said no condemnation in Christ What a glorious reality And it is a way better deal to be united to the King of kings who said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Why? Because they're in Him. He gives you everything. If, if Later in Romans 8.32, it says, if God did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not freely give us with Christ everything we need? Well, you know how that happens? You know how that happens in your soul? The spirit of life, verse two, the spirit of life has set you free from the law or the power that 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 word law means more power there. The power of sin and death, the spirit of God, the spirit of life, the life giving spirit comes into your life. Opens your eyes, liberates your heart, you believe the gospel, and you're plunged or you're plucked out of darkness into light, you're plucked out of condemnation into no condemnation, you're plucked out of guiltiness into being totally pardoned from all your sins. That's what Jesus does for you if you're in Christ. A pardon from sin and a peace that endures. Well, it also means that if you're not in Christ, you're outside of Christ. You're outside of those blessings. If you're not in Christ, it's not no condemnation, but only condemnation. It's not pardon, but you're guilty. It's not the the blessings of saving grace but the wrath of God's just judgment upon you. So this verse means also the opposite of those who are outside of Christ don't experience this. It's sobering. It's a reminder of the glory of the Gospel. So how is this possible in our lives. How is this possible? How can you move from condemnation to no condemnation? And then a second question, how can you, if you're in the no condemnation side of the verdict, how can you stay there? Two things to think about. Point number three. The foundation of our no condemnation verdict. Look at it in verse 2 and 3. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. If you've not been set free in Christ Jesus, then you don't have the verdict. Verse 3 For God has done, God has to do something. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin." What what an amazing statement that is. God has done something. God has took the initiative in salvation. He sent His Son. He did something. He broke into the world. He broke in. That's why verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. That word now means something has changed in the world. Jesus has come. Salvation is possible. The King has inaugurated the kingdom of God and the saving blessings of God promised of old to all of Adam's progeny who have fallen and been corrupted can be saved from the curse. And that's glorious news. And it'll change your world. And it'll come into those bad days and and, and totally get your mind and your heart on the reality of who you are in Christ. Sometimes we're so stuck looking at ourselves that we can't look to Jesus and see the glory of what God has done in Christ. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he what? He washed it white as snow. Look at verse 3. It tells us that very thing. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law is good and it shows the right way to live, but the weakness is not in the law, it's in our flesh. So God has to do something because we can't. And now He does it by what? The very next section of the verse. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now don't stumble over that phrase in the likeness of sinful flesh. That does not mean that Jesus was born a sinner. It means He was born in the likeness of our frail humanity. He was the babe born in Bethlehem. He's the one who grew in wisdom and stature before God and men. He's the one who knew what it was like to get a cold. He knew what it was like to stub His toe. He knew what it was like to live in this world fraught with all its difficulties yet without sin. He had to be born in the likeness of our humanity. He is fully man, fully God, and there is no salvation without it. There is no salvation. No condemnation verdict without it. Jesus must become man to satisfy the just demands of God's holy law and the penalty we deserve for our sins. That's why God sent Him. Because He could live the way you never could. So if you keep trusting yourself, if you keep thinking, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to just earn it. I'm just going to try to do a little better. Do a little more better. Or as our culture is just telling you on every level, you do you. You just do you, bub. It's going to be fine. You do you. God has done. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The weakness of our flesh means that when you do you, it's jacked up. So you need God to do something. Verse 3, by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and what? For sin. So not only does He send His Son to save sinners, which echoes John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have eternal life. But God sends His Son born of woman to live the life of total joyful obedience before God. He lives as the second Adam. He does what Adam failed to do in the garden. He's the second Adam. That's what that chapter Romans 5 is all about. It's about what Jesus did. The one man brought sin into the world. The other man brings righteousness because He died on a cross and His perfect life was laid bare. His blood was shed and there's no cleansing of your sin apart from it. There's no bringing you out from under the grip of condemnation without this King, without this Savior, without the second Adam coming in and doing what only He could do. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned. Sin in the flesh. Now, I want you to pay attention to that. He condemned sin in the flesh. Did He condemn His sin in the flesh? He had no sin. Whose sin did He condemn in the flesh? Whose sin does God condemn in the flesh of Jesus Christ upon the cross? Our sins, if we're in Christ, the wrath of God poured out on His Son. Jesus willingly went to the cross to bring life. But He had to take the wrath. If the wrath is taken out of the way, fellowship with God is possible. If sin is totally atoned for, and He dies as a substitute, and we hear what the, the, uh, John the Baptist said at the beginning of John's Gospel, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb has to come spotless and die as a sacrifice. And then, He condemns sin in the flesh right there. So you have a bad day? Your sin has been condemned in the flesh of King Jesus. That argument you had with your spouse last week. Condemned in the flesh of Jesus. You don't have to bear the condemnation for it. Repent of it. Don't stay in it. We'll talk about that next week. But just know it's been poured out. The wrath has been poured out. Justice has been served for the people of God. And Jesus bore it all. And all to Him we owe. My one defense. My righteousness. Well, how do we have a defense? Because He died. And because God accepted the sacrifice. And the wrath of God was turned away from every one of us in Christ. There is no greater hope in all the world And in a culture that is so me-centered and me-oriented and all about me, you need to hear the voice of God saying to you, He has done, God has done something for you in Christ that is irrevocable. Unchanging. Your standing cannot change in King Jesus if you put your faith in Him. If God poured His wrath out on His Son, He's not going to pour it out on you. So when you stand before Him on the final day, trusting Jesus, He's going to look and say, enter into my joy, my beloved Son. Oh, I can't wait for the day. And I want it to shape every other day I have in this world. I want it to shape the the next 10 billion years. I want every one of us to have the Gospel of justification by faith and this no condemnation verdict hanging over us so we live so radically different in this world and we herald this message to the world. Because apart from Jesus, condemnation looms and reigns and prison And condemnation for our sins is all we'll ever taste until the Son of God breaks in. Verse 4 reminds us what happened to us with Jesus' work on the cross. In order that Jesus condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you. So it's one thing to get a pardon from God. I forgive you of all your sins. That's pardon. But are you righteous? You're still sinful. Well, we need this in order that. If there is no in order that coming from the cross work of Jesus and as you put your trust in Him, this, in order that, has to break into your life. So when you trust Jesus, it's in order that the righteous requirement of the law of God is fulfilled in who? In us. Because we're in Christ. There's union. There's, There's that union language. So everything that Jesus is has been credited to our account. And that's glorious news on the last day. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know how to get it? You've got to be justified by faith. And then there's peace, reconciliation, And you move out of the condemnation into the peace of no condemnation forever. And that's how you can be in Heaven because you're covered in the righteousness of Jesus, glorified forever. You can stand before God even though you were a rebel sinner, you've been made right. So quickly and briefly, implications for your life. I mean, if there weren't already a thousand implications that we could make of this passage in our lives, I just want to think of a couple briefly. Number one, we have already said and reminded ourselves that there is not an ounce or shred of condemnation left in God's justice, wrath tank to be poured out on us. Jesus has absorbed it all. So if you ever think God is wrathful towards you as a Christian, you need to beat that thought in the face with Romans 8.1. No condemnation in Christ. Jesus paid it all. And if He's justified you, it doesn't matter what the enemy will bring at you. Whatever condemning thoughts He spews at you, and He does it all the time. You really call yourself a Christian? Look how you did that. Good one. You think you're a good dad? You have failed miserably. You think you're a good daughter or son? You're never going to measure up. He brings the arrows into our lives. And Romans 8.1 is like a shield. You hold up in faith, knowing my God has made satisfaction for me and no wrath will come upon me. Who I am is in Christ. And let the accusations come, they'll fall to the ground on the last day. Number two, no condemnation should bring a profound sense of joy in your soul and gratitude to God. A profound sense of joy in your soul and gratitude to God. Listen to Psalm 32 say that very thing. This was, this was a psalm quoted earlier by Paul, but, but this is David's heart. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Blessed means happy. You want a joyful life? Marinate on Romans 8.1 and let it explode joy into your heart again and again and again. And be ever thankful that the smile of God is on you when we deserve nothing but wrath. You want to grow in gratitude? Spend your time in Romans chapter 8. If you're an ungrateful person, a bitter person, a person who's always just sees the the negative side of everything, ultimately, you need to drink deeply from this passage because there's so much to be thankful for if we're in Christ. There is so much to be thankful for. There is joy to be welling up in our soul. Jesus said, come to Me, any who are thirsty. Come to Me. And I'll give you rest. He'll give you joy. He'll give you peace. So thanksgiving and joy just overflow in a life that's understanding what Jesus has done. And lastly, this is all next week, but I'll say it just so we know it. If you really understood Romans chapter 8, Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. Do you think that's a license to live any way you want? Or would it motivate the soul to live for God in a grateful obedience? Would it motivate our souls to just, I want to honor God. I want to give my life to God. I want to give my time and energy to God. I want to shake off this American dream sort of ideal and I want to commit my life to God until I go to meet Him. And so that might show up in some of the ways we order our lives, spend our time, use our money and our resources and our talents. Oh, when, when godliness begins to flow, it means you've marinated from the the, the the marrow of justification by faith in Christ. And you know exactly what it means to come out from under the guilt and the condemnation that you rightly deserve. I was reading a story late last night of a soldier named Jacob Dechazer. And Jacob DeShazer was a bombardier in World War II. And if you will remember the Doolittle Raid, Jacob was one of the men. There were 80 men selected who were in the army at the time to go and be a part of a raid that was 16 B-25s, would go and fly to Japan to targeted areas. It was like this secret mission. And there was really... No hope for them in some sense because they had no place to land. They had to drop their bombs, fly all the way to China, and try to just crash land somewhere in a neutral territory. But most of China was occupied by the Japanese. So the likelihood of them falling into enemy hands was very high. And so Jacob goes with his crew and he accomplishes his mission. The targets are hit, which incidentally would set up the Battle of Midway because Japan would respond and go right into a trap in Midway. And ultimately, this Doolittle Raid had a big impact on the war. But they drop their bombs and Jacob's plane heads for China. And it runs out of gas over occupied territory. He and eight other men are put in a prison camp. Now, Jacob had no love for the Japanese, and he had no love for Christianity. And in this camp, he would be tortured. He would be beaten. He would be starved. He says that they were experts at getting confessions and getting information out of people so they knew how to bring you to the edge of death itself to get the information they needed. And he would go on like that for years, but eventually get moved to another prison camp in Shanghai. And conditions would change slightly for him. And there was a missionary's home that got raided. And the Japanese allowed them to read some of the resources that were in this man's home. And so the four soldiers that were left, eight of them went into the prison camp, four died because of the terrible conditions. Three of them um, ultimately ended up uh, being shot, actually, um, after they were starved half to death. And now there's four left, and all they can do is read the literature of a missionary sent from America to Ch- to uh, Japan. And so... What happens is each of them get a turn to read the Bible for three weeks. And Jacob gets his chance. And he reads the Bible from cover to cover. And he had such a loathing for the Japanese. He had a loathing for his prisoner, He just wanted to kill them. And all of a sudden, he starts reading the Bible. And I want you to hear his words. Because it's a picture of a man who went from condemnation to no condemnation by reading God's Word. On June 8, 1944, the words of Romans 10-9 stood out boldly before my eyes. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And in that very moment, God Gave me grace to confess my sins to him, and he forgave me and saved me for Jesus' sake, even as later I was found, I found that his word promises so clearly in John 1 9, if we confess with our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's discovering the gospel. He's discovering he could be forgiven and justified. And he said, oh, how my heart rejoiced in my newness of spiritual life, even though my body was suffering so terribly from the physical beatings and the lack of food. But suddenly I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes and that I looked at the Japanese officers and guards who had starved and beaten me and my companions so cruelly. And I found my bitter hatred for them being changed into loving pity. And I read in my Bible that while Those who crucified Jesus on the cross had beaten Him and spit upon Him before He was nailed to the cross. He tenderly prayed for them in that moment of excruciating suffering. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now, from the depths of my heart, I prayed for God to forgive my torturers. He was a man gripped by hatred. He gets saved. He gets justified before God. He, he experiences the no condemnation verdict. And love begins to flow out of his life and replace the hatred that you would expect. He would hate these men. And he begins to love them. And he gets released a few years later at the end of the war. And he goes back a missionary to Japan and plants a church in the very city he bombed. And the Gospel goes forward. And he had leaflets he would hand out of his story, and one Japanese leader and commander would get saved and become a witness for Jesus Himself to His own people. And the effects of Jacob de Chazer, the effects of his no condemnation verdict on that day on Jan- uh, in 1944 had a ripple effect. And I pray that that very ripple effect would be happening. Think of all the lives represented in this room who are honoring King Jesus and what would happen if we sent the ripple effect throughout the world. That Jesus Christ is Lord and He saves sinners and He justifies the ungodly. And all who come to Him, He will by no means cast out. Beloved, no condemnation leads to new obedience in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this great Word. We thank You for this great text, Lord, that there's no condemnation for us in Christ. That all the blessings of Jesus have been given to us and and we rejoice in them. We thank You for them and we praise You for them. And I pray, God, that You would seal the work of this Word on our hearts. And if we feel that we are discouraged so often, Lord, may we beat back the discouragement With the glorious truths of Romans chapter 8. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.